Childhood, Sports, and Jersey, my personal trifecta. Introduction. I'm about to share with you some of the experiences and the joy that I've had of growing up in New Jersey with some wonderful friends and just the, some of the great experiences I had. But something that stands out to me as an adult is that the friendships that are developed as children, and then when you go to it and you fast forward to it 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years later, that those friendships are, are, are with you forever. For instance, if I was to, and I have, you know, I, I reconnect with some people on Facebook that I, that I knew from grammar school and high school, but if they were to call me and if they needed something or they just needed to talk or wanted to talk or maybe something or someone, you know, passed on in their lives, I would be there for them in a heartbeat, and I know most of them would do the same for me. And that's one of the wonderful things that I wanted to share with you is embrace your, your childhood memories, embrace those, those friendships. And, I, you know, I would take away that's one of the greatest things about social media is your ability to reconnect with friends from the past, and you can always know that they'll be with you forever. And that's a great feeling. My name is Mark Russick, and you're listening to The Russick Outlook. <laughs> Childhood, sports, and Jersey. My personal trifecta. Rain poured the day before the Pee Wee League championship game in our small town of Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. The following day, parents, coaches, and players were raking the mud-soaked field in order to play ball for the title of Best Nine-Year-Olds in Town. This truly was a very, very big deal. The field was a makeshift diamond set up in the southeast corner of the town's high school field. It was the bottom of the sixth and final inning. We were down 4-2 to the previous year's champion and dreaded favorites, the Pioneer Club. I played first base for the home team, representing the Contemporary Club, wearing our Carolina blue t-shirts with black lettering and caps. We had runners on first and second with one out, and it was my turn at bat. While I would love to tell you that I saw the rotation of the ball stitching leaving the pitcher's hand as an off-speed curveball coming at me down and away. Quickly identifying the spin, I dropped my wrist, swung out my hips just a little to inside out my swing in order to go the other way with a solid line drive into right field. As I said, I would love to tell you this, but at least there is some truth to it. I did, in fact, hit a line drive down the right field line for the game-winning home run and the title. Because we were playing in a corner field with no fence, the ball just kept traveling way past the right fielder on the ground, skipping through mud puddles just going on and on as I rounded the bases. The fact of the matter is, I was really late with my swing and was very lucky just to get a solid piece of it at the very last second. To be honest, I don't even know if my eyes were open. But the most meaningful part of the day was my dad was in the crowd. He was watching as I rounded third and headed for home with my coaches and teammates swooping me up at home plate and carrying me around on their shoulders. It's almost 50 years since this day, and I can still see my father just beaming at his son's heroics. Right up until my 30s, my father would still occasionally bring this day up, recalling the smiles on my coaches and teammates' faces. So here I was at nine years old, just accomplishing what every boy's playing sports dreams of, hitting the game-winning shot for the championship. 
It didn't occur to me until years later, after I became a man, that everything in sports would be anticlimactic after this. Nonetheless, whenever I was practicing and daydreaming, I would still envision hitting a game-winning grand slam in the seventh game of the World Series as the center fielder for the New York Yankees. Or perhaps a last-second jump shot, a la Clyde Frazier for the Knicks. Or maybe even a Fran Tarkenton to Homer Jones pass for the Super Bowl. Okay, Tarkenton to Homer Jones in the Super Bowl was just a little too far-fetched, but hopefully you get the idea. Turns out the start in 69 was a pretty special year in sports, not only for me personally, but also for our local sports teams. Earlier in January, Joe Willie stunned the country with a massive upset over Johnny Hughes Colts. Later in October, the amazing Mets burst onto the scene with their first championship, and the next year the Garden was rocking to a very special run with Clyde, Willis, DeBusher, and Dollar Bill. A few years later, the Zen master, Phil Jackson, joined the team before he knew Zen. I still remember this huge, freaky-looking dude covering the opponent's out-of-bounds passes with a wingspan longer than most condors. On the other side of the garden were the Rangers. Although we had to wait until 94 for Messier, Leach, and Richter to show up, the 70s were still pretty special with Brad Park, Hatfield, Rattel, Rod Gilbert and Eddie G in the net. The following autumn, after the Pee Wee League Championship, I won first place in the punt, pass, and kick competition. By pure luck alone, I just happened to probably have my best kick ever that day. I simply nailed it for almost 35 yards. As much as I tried afterward, I could never replicate that distance again. Two weeks later, I came in 10th place in Pennsylvania for the Northeast Regionals. Even though I enjoy most sports, I always gravitated to the special dimensions of 90 feet from base to base and 60 feet 6 inches to the plate. My memories of October baseball is very special. Inevitably, some of my classmates scored their parents' handheld transistor radios for the weekday afternoon starts of the World Series. We would sneak them on very carefully in the back of our Corpus Christi classrooms around 1.30. As soon as the 3 o'clock bell hit, I would run home just in time to watch our black-and-white television display the afternoon shadows as they would begin to cover halfway between the mound and home plate in the later innings. This became especially tough when facing the likes of Tom Seaver, Bob Gibson, or Jim Palmer. I was a pretty good athlete as a kid. Not great by any stretch, but tall, lanky, extremely fast, and passionate. In the fall of the same year, I was playing basketball in the grammar school gym as part of a Cub Scout field trip. We were shooting baskets on one half of the court while the fifth and sixth grade team was on the other half. Our den mother noticed my shots were falling in a lot more than the others, and she decided to speak with the coaches at the other end of the gym about me. I had no idea what she was up to, but within a few minutes, the two coaches, Paul and Billy, asked me to come down and scrimmage with the team. By the next day, I was the only fourth grader playing for the fifth and sixth graders. I wound up playing for Corpus Christi Grammar School team for the next five years and winning two county championships. I learned a great deal in those five years, but as good as my coaches were, no one could break my bad habit of leading off my right foot for layups rather than my left. 
It took my high school freshman coach, Mr. Gill, to finally get through to me. How did he do it? He kept whipping the ball at me every time I led with my right foot. I guess I finally got tired of too many welts on my body. Mind you, this was pre-Bobby Knight. When we were not playing organized ball as kids, we still continued to play wherever there was grass, dirt, or a paved court. My childhood nickname came from the second half of my last name, Sack. There was an empty lot next to my house growing up, where many of us would routinely gather after school for a game of scrambled eggs. Word would go around class in the afternoon, scrambled eggs and Sack's lot after school. The game was pure torture. We would start with someone throwing a football up in the air. Someone else would catch it and run as fast as he could until someone or the whole group of us would tackle him. This person would then throw up the ball and off we would go all over again. I can't think of why anyone would want to catch a ball knowing there was about a dozen kids looking to deck you as hard as they could. Yet I continued to look for the ball and like most of us, Time and time again, I would get creamed. Boy, this was fun. A few more years in came the excitement of going to the Friday night high school football games. We were one of the few towns that played under the lights. Now, this was a very special time for us. Between September to Thanksgiving Day, home field games were the social highlight of the fall season. About 25 to 30 of us would show up for each of these special occasions. The guys would come hoping for a chance to make out with our girlfriends under the bleachers or in the Little League dugouts one field over at halftime. If you didn't have a girl to hang with, it was off to Fat Mike's just outside the field on the corner of Route 17. I am still willing to contend this was simply the best steak sandwich shack from our side of the Hudson River, bar none. As far as Texas wieners go, I am still a Hanks Franks kind of guy, just being truthful. As we started to grow up a bit in the 70s, George bought the New York Yankees from CBS, and hence the birth of the Bronx Zoo began. I was a big-time Munson fan, or as we affectionately called him, Squatty Body. Number 15 was our leader in the 70s. Forget Reggie and his straws. The thing about Thurman was he always looked pissed off, like he just wanted to punch someone in the face. One of the many great things about this time was the deep-rooted passion of the Yankees-Red Sox rivalry. Not only did the fans not like each other, the players themselves seemed to join in as well. Munson versus Fisk, Sweet Lou versus Fisk, or Nettles separating the spaceman Bill Lee's shoulder. These were certainly fun times. By the mid-70s, the Yankees were playoff-bound again. Pinstripe pride was back, and we could not get enough of it. During this time, I entered Paramus Catholic High School, only to find more like-minded Yankee fanatics. We would go to about 10 home games each summer, always putting a circle around the Friday nights in August and September for the pennant stretch against the Sox or the Orioles. Then a funny thing happened after high school. I did what any self-respecting New York sports fan would do. I went to college in Boston, majoring in jazz composition and arranging at Berklee College of Music in the Back Bay section of the city on Mass Ave. Much to my delight, Fenway Pack was only 10 minutes away from my dome. Although I continued to despise the Sox, 
I did have many unique opportunities watching batters rack up wicked shots that would just ricochet so hard off the green monster in left, you could hear it as clean as a bell in the pubs on Yaki Way. As luck would have it, I fell in love with this great city and their sports fans. The Red Sox, Celtics, and Bruins were my nemesis, and I was living in the heart of the enemy's den. And I would not have it any other way. But the Coupe de Gras for me was being one of the lone Yankee fans with a ticket to the one-game playoff in what is affectionately referred to in Beantown as the Bucky Effin Dent Game. Much to my delight, the entire city was like a morgue for over a week. Some Bostonians today still refer to this as the worst day since Jack Kennedy was shot. Boy, these Red Sox fans can sure act strangely at times. Several months later, I was hanging out in the commons with a few of my buddies and our guitars. Our motive was pure and simple. Play music in the hopes of picking up girls. As we were sitting on a park bench, we were quite surprised to see a presidential candidate heading our way. None other than Ronald Reagan. He was campaigning and not drawing much attention, so he came to speak with us. I remember all of us making fun of the actor before he came within earshot because, like so many, we thought there was no way this old Hollywood actor could be taken seriously. Being a typical, obnoxious Yankee fan, I began to razz him somewhat tongue-in-cheek about the beating we just put on his Los Angeles Dodgers during the past two World Series. He offered a good-natured smile, and then he began to tell us about his close friend Gene Autry, owner of the California Angels. Although Ronnie loved his Dodgers, turns out his favorite team was his good friend's Angels. We wound up speaking with him on various subjects for about the next 20 minutes. After he left, we all looked at each other somewhat stunned with all of us agreeing we liked this man a lot. He really took us by surprise and eventually we wound up voting for him. Sometimes you just never know who you might run into. After two years of college, I came back home to New Jersey. Eventually, I settled down, got married, and raised two wonderful sons, Mark and Daniel. Somewhat like their dad, they both loved and played sports in grammar school and high school. During the summers, I would take them on vacation to see their grandfather on Cape Cod and South Yarmouth. It's off this very special piece of New England paradise where they learned about good chowder, great fishing, and baseball. Like myself, they have now seen games in the old and the new mecca of baseball off River Avenue in the Bronx and that very, very special Fenway Pack in Boston. Let me close with one of my finer moments where I got to enjoy my childhood once again through the eyes of my sons. My little brother Scott was able to get my two sons and myself bleacher seats for Game 6 of the 96 World Series in Yankee Stadium. If you do not know what happened that night, Shame on you. Needless to say, the Yankees won their first title in 18 years. Once Girardi hit his triple, the stadium literally shook so hard you thought there might be an earthquake. I have been going to games there all my life, and I am telling you I have never heard or seen the stadium so loud or so raucous as that night. The look of pure joy on my kids' faces throughout the game was priceless. A few months after this, I attended a parents' teachers' conference. One of Dan's teachers pulled me aside to share with me what Dan had wrote in his school assignment earlier that year. 
He was asked to write down what is his best moment from the past year, and he shared it was our night at Yankee Stadium with his dad for Game 6. I am telling you as a father, it does not get better than this. Right now, I am thinking about taking a ride soon to Cooperstown with my two sons and my two grandsons for the inevitable induction ceremonies of Mo and Jeter. This is guaranteed to be some exceptionally fun and extremely loud celebrations. We will all be getting ready for Metallica playing Enter Sandman as Mo takes the podium. In the end and to this day, I am grateful for being raised in New Jersey with great friends and classmates, my years of playing sports for the pure fun of it, and the many life lessons I learned during the course of my time as a kid with a ball in my hand. Thankfully, I still believe there is a little bit of boy left in me, and I hope this never leaves. As always, just my opinion. My name is Mark Russick, and you've been listening to The Russick Outlook.